0: Hello and welcome back to my episode 7 of the Fundamentals of Investing. I am Professor Maheshag Nihotri, your host for the podcast. I am a retired professor of accounting and finance for bachelor's programs and other higher qualification seeking programs as well for almost four decades in India, Oman and the United Arab Emirates. During this period, I taught basic and higher levels of accounting courses and also the principles of finance, the fundamentals of investing, capital markets and institutions and applied finance in the area of finance. Apart from teaching, I have presented research papers in Asia, Europe and North America which includes an international business conference organized by the oldest professional management societies called Society for Advancement of Management which was established in the year 1910. My interest in stock markets motivates me to write articles and publish episodes on podcast. Some of my other publications include Invest Today for a Better Tomorrow and Why Should Investors Follow Greatman Theory? Both the articles were published in Forbes Middle East in 2016 and 2017 respectively. In episode 6 we had discussed the investing habits of investors. In episode 7 we will discuss the various investing theories which are not free from controversies. You may all agree if I say that the world of investment management is generally complex. Yes, but there are certain investing theories that investors should be aware of to have a greater knowledge, greater understanding of the trading practices. When it comes to investing, let me tell you, there is no shortage of theories on what makes the market stick or What a particular market move means to the investors. There are a number of theories, although controversial as I said earlier. Let us discuss these theories one after the other. The first one is efficient market hypothesis, which is also known as EMH. The second one, 50% principle. Then the third one is greater fold theory. The fourth one, prospect theory, the fifth one is odd lot theory, the sixth one is rational expectations theory and the last one is short interest theory. While it is useful to know these theories, it is also important to remember that no unified theory can explain the financial world. Before we discuss the efficient market hypothesis theory. Let me give some introduction. There are two factions as far as the concept of beating the market is concerned. These factions are split along theoretical lines between the supporters of efficient market theory and the other one who believe that markets can be beaten. Market can be beaten. But remember this is only a fundamental split. Efficient market theory says markets cannot be beaten. At the same time, we regularly hear stories of the legendary investors who were able to beat the market successfully over many decades. This includes the greatest investors of all times, Warren Buffett, Peter Lynch and some others as well. is it really true that professional investors usually fail to beat the market and does it mean that some that small or average investors shouldn't even make an attempt to beat the market and just put their money in an index fund and then just relax having said this it's time to discuss the first of the controversial theories that is Efficient Market Hypothesis Theory. This theory has very few people neutral to the concept. Mostly some people believe it and others detest it. Let us first understand what is Efficient Market. Market efficiency refers to the degree to which market prices of stocks reflect all uh, the available and uh, relevant information. If the markets are efficient, then all information is already incorporated into prices. And so, there is no way to beat the market. Because there are no undervalued, no overvalued stocks, no overvalued securities available. So, there is no way uh, investor can beat the market. The theory is offered in three different versions. The first one, weak form. Second, strong form. And the another, another one is semi-strong form. Now let us discuss each one one after the other. The weak form suggests that today's stock prices reflect all the data of past prices and that no form of technical analysis can be used to help investors in making trading decisions. Advocates for the weak form of efficiency theory believe that if fundamental analysis is used undervalued and overvalued stocks can be determined And investors can research companies' financial statements to increase their chances of making higher than market average profits. Then we move to the second one that is semi-strong form. The semi-strong form of efficiency theory follows the belief that Because all information that is public is used in the calculation of a stock's current price, investors cannot utilize either technical or fundamental analysis to gain higher returns in the market. Those who subscribe to this version of the theory believe that only information that is not available readily to the public can help the investors and that can help the investors to boost their returns to a performance level that is above, the, uh, above that of the general market, you can see. Then we move on to the third one that is the strong form of market efficiency. The strong form version of the efficient market hypothesis states that all information, both the information available to the public. And any information not publicly known is completely accounted for in the stock current stock prices, and there is no type of information that can give an investor an advantage on the market. so whatever is there it is it is completely incorporated in the stock prices. Advocates for this degree of the theory suggest that investors cannot make returns on the investments that exceed the normal market returns, regardless of the information retrieved or research conducted, whatever. Having said this, we can also say that the opponents of the efficient market hypothesis point to Warren Buffett and other investors who have consistently beaten the market. How? They have beaten the market by finding irrational prices within the overall market. But there's a problem with the Efficient Market Hypothesis Theory and that is, as we know that there are different methods for analyzing and valuing stocks. This actually creates some problems for the validity of efficient market hypothesis. For example, if one investor looks for undervalued market opportunities, while another evaluates a stock on the basis of its growth potential, these two investors will already have arrived at different assessment of the stock's fair market value. So one argument against the efficient market hypothesis points out that since investors value stocks differently it is impossible it is impossible to determine what a stock should be worth under efficient market Now we move on to the second investing theory that is 50% principle The 50% principle is an investing strategy that takes into consideration the changes in the market more than the company's underlying value. It appears that any observed trend will have a corresponding price correction. This is at least one half or two thirds of the current price change. This price price correction is Mostly caused by some nervous investors who want to book profits early on. In other words, the 50% principle theory predicts that an observed trend will undergo a price correction of one half of the one-half to two-thirds of the change in price. This means that if a stock has been on an upward trend and gain 20% it will fall back 10% before continuing its rise. This is an extreme example as most times this rule is applied to short term trends. Then we move on to the third investing theory that is greater fool theory. We know that there are different types of investors and they have different investing styles. The greater fool theory states that you can make money from securities whether they are overvalued or not by selling them to a gullible investor or a greater fool. If one goes by the greater fool theory, an investor will purchase some questionably priced securities, without giving any regard, regard to their quality, then if this theory holds good, the investor will still be able to quickly sell them off to another greater fool, who could also be hoping to flip them quickly. But the question is, does it happen? So. The main problem with this theory is that at some point you run out of fools. Then we move on to the fourth investing theory, that is the prospect theory. The prospect theory is actually a behavioral model that suggests that people are more fearful of a loss than they are encouraged by a gain. For example, If an individual has a choice of two different prospects, he would pick the one that he thinks he has less chance of ending in a loss rather than the one that offers him the most gain. That is the problem. For example, let me explain it to you. If you offer an investor two investments. Number one, that has given a return of 5% each year. And the other one has given a return of say 12%, then next year he lost 2.5% and again a positive return of 6% in the same years, 3 years, 3 years. The investor will pick the first investment that is the 5% investment. Why? Because he puts an irrational amount of importance on the single loss in the second investment while ignoring the gains that are of a greater magnitude because if you see the returns were 12% and 6% in the rest of the two years. In fact, both alternatives produce the net total return of 5% after three years. Then we move on to the next theory that is the odd lot theory. The odd lot theory uses the sale of odd lots, that is, small blocks of stocks held by the individual investors as an, as an indicator of when to buy into a stock. Investors following the odd lot theory buy in when small investors sell out. The main assumption is those small investors are usually wrong. The limitation of this theory is that the data does not always provide evidence for this theory. The individual investors have the advantage of being more mobile than the big funds and they could react faster upon the alarming situation in the market. Particularly, odd lot sales could sometimes represent a larger sell off than a mistake of the small-time investors. Then the sixth investing theory is a rational expectations theory. The rational expectations theory is a concept and a modeling technique that is used widely in macroeconomics. The theory posits or puts in position the fact that individuals base their decisions on three primary factors. The first one is their human rationality, the second one the information available to them and the third one is their past experiences. It suggests that people's current expectations of the economy are helpful. That is a person will invest, spend, etc. according to what he or she rationally rationally believes will happen in in the near future. And uh, by doing so that person creates a self-fulfilling prophecy that helps bring about the future event. And now we move on to the last theory that is the short interest theory. The short interest theory assumes that high short interest is the precursor to a rise in the stock's price and at first glance appears to be unfounded. Common sense suggests that a stock with a high stock short interest that is a stock that many investors are short selling is due for correction. So these are the 7 investing theories which uh, are not free from being criticised by people. They have their own plus points and they have their own minus points as well. Now we move on to some other theory that is a the a portfolio theory, that is a modern portfolio theory. Let us discuss what is a modern portfolio theory. A modern portfolio theory is an investing model in which investors invest with the motive of taking the minimum level of risk and earning the maximum amount of return for that level of acquired risk. The modern portfolio theory is a very helpful tool for all the investors as it helps them in choosing different types of investments for the purpose of uh, having a diversification of the investment and then making one portfolio by considering all the investments. Harry Markowitz pioneered this theory in his paper, Portfolio Selection, which was published in the Journal of Finance in the year 1952. He was later awarded a Nobel Prize for his work on modern portfolio theory. If you understand, if you want to understand the modern portfolio theory, it is better we also understand the assumptions of the modern portfolio theory. It has six assumptions, although there are more, but let me discuss the six assumptions first. The first one is returns from the assets are distributed normally. The second assumption of the modern portfolio theory is The investors making the investment is rational and will avoid all the unnecessary risk associated with it. The third assumption is Investors will give their best in order to maximize the returns for all the unique situations provided. The fourth assumption is All investors have access to the same information. The fifth one is the cost pertaining to the taxes and trading is not considered while making the decisions and the final assumption is all the investors have the same views on the rate of return expected let me tell you that the that given a desired level of expected return an investor can construct an investor can make a portfolio with the lowest possible risk based on statistical measures such as variance and correlation an individual's an individual investment's performance is less important than how it impacts the entire portfolio that is important let us see how to calculate the expected return a portfolio as per the modern portfolio theory. The expected return of the portfolio is calculated as a weighted sum of the individual assets returns. If a portfolio contains four equally weighted assets of say 25%, 25%, 25% and 25% with the expected returns of four, six, 10 and 14 percent. The portfolio's expected return would be 4 percent times 25 percent plus 6 percent times again 25 percent plus 10 percent again times 25 percent and finally again 14 percent times 25 percent comes to 8.5 percent. This is the portfolio's expected return. Let us see what are the advantages of the modern portfolio theory. The first one is it helps in evaluating and in managing risks and returns associated with the investments. This is a big advantage. The second one is The theory is an important tool for avoiding financial ruin because by following this theory traders don't rely only on one investment for their financial stability. Rather, they diversify their portfolio in order to get the maximum return and that too with minimum risk. Of course, This theory also has some disadvantages. The first one is, in the modern portfolio theory, the past performance of the company under consideration is taken, which never never provides a guarantee for the results that could arise in future. The second disadvantage is, in this theory there is an assumption that securities of any of the sizes can be bought and sold which doesn't hold true because some of the securities have some order sizes which cannot be dealt in fraction. This theory is, has its own criticism. Perhaps the most serious criticism of the modern portfolio theory is that it evaluates portfolios based on variance rather than the downside risk. To conclude, every theory or every investing theory has its own position, its own, all theories have their own plus points and minus points. Whatever may be be the approach or whatever may be the model, investors need to do a lot of research and constantly monitor the stock market behaviour only then they can hope to make some good investment decisions and finally leading to good returns. A right approach with the right investing process in place needs to be adopted for maximizing their wealth. That's all we have for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you do so, if you enjoyed, if you have enjoyed it, please like, share, subscribe, and also recommend it to your friends. Should you have any questions, you may reach me through my email, agnihotripodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and see you in the next episode. Bye. Take care.